This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined to continue the conversation from yesterday by Brett Coleman of SB Nation. And of course, he's got tremendous YouTube videos. If you haven't watched them yet, you really should. It's not just about the draft. He's got videos about tons of stuff involving football in the NFL. There's a reason why he generally gets over 150,000 views for each of his YouTube videos. So if you haven't watched them yet, you really should. And Brett, a couple of your most recent videos involve some of the boom or bust prospects in the 2019 draft, including Devin White, the linebacker from LSU. I don't know how strong the odds are that the Jets pick him. I think it's pretty much guaranteed that they're not going to because of C.J. Mosley. But you never know if for some reason the Jets have him ranked super high on their board or if they trade down. Anything could happen. I was curious to get you to tell me a little bit about what makes him such a wild card. Seems like there are times when you watch him where he looks like he could be one of the best players in the NFL. And then there are times where you watch him and say, this guy is a backup level player. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of it comes down to kind of how new he is at the position. Uh, he played a little bit of linebacker in high school, but he was really recruited as a running back. He was kind of seen as the heir apparent to Leonard Fournette when he was in high school, just absolutely dumping on kids. Um, one of the very few, like, four- or five-star fullback prospects that have come out of high school in the last, you know, many years. Um, and so he was he was seen as a running back. Then he got to LSU. Uh, he dropped a little bit of weight. They converted him to linebacker because they already had pretty good depth at running back. Um, that kid who who ended up in Washington tore his ACL before the season started. I'm blanking on the name, but you know they had running backs that are like, you know what, we need a linebacker. This kid runs four four. He jumps out the gym. We think we can turn him into something, and yeah, they really did turn him into something. But at the same time, you you can see that his instincts aren't quite all the way there yet because, again, he's still learning the position. Uh, as a tackler, his technique is still sloppy. He kind of comes in high, and he's more of a kind of a wrap-up and crocodile roll tackler. He's, he's not really driving uh, through the body of his target, and he, he goes he doesn't really hit the legs as much as, as, as you want him to. So he's not all the way there, but he's such a phenomenal athlete, and we know he's a hard worker. Um, that if he goes to the right situation, which probably isn't the Jets, but if he goes to the right situation, like, say, uh, the Broncos, where they've got um, Vic Fangio, one of the greatest linebacker coaches in the history of the sport, he could turn into an all-pro caliber player. It's a little bit more of a, proje- uh, a, a projection than, say, Williams or Bosa, because, again, the, the floor is not nearly as high, but the ceiling is just as high. You tell me a little bit about his problems with fundamentals because this is something you highlight in your video and it stands out when you watch his tape. He does a lot of things that will make you scratch your head. And again, I realize that he's new to the position, but these are things that are going to have to get fixed in a hurry if he's going to be a successful NFL player, right? Yeah, to me the main thing is he, he kind of reads plays like he's still a running back. Um, when he's reading what uh, an offensive line is doing, it's you can almost kind of see the gears turning in his head of like, oh, well, I would cut off this guy's hip, so I'm just going to fill that lane. And he's not really fitting what his responsibility is on the play. He's more reading and reacting to what he thinks the running back would do if he were the running back. He's not actually following the running back. So he'll end up out of position sometimes because he's kind of guessing based on what he's reading. He's not just doing his job. And again, uh, he is exactly flipping the perspective in terms of, you know, reading to cut versus reading to fill. 
So it's going to take a little bit longer for him to get used to that. I do think that that's going to be part of the growing pains with him. But again, he's such a phenomenal athlete that he was able to make up for that most of the time with his speed and explosiveness, even when he was out of position. So I'm not worried about it long term, but whoever, whatever team drafts him is going to have to be aware that he's not really a day one product. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. How scared would you be to draft him toward the top? In other words, you would assume that some team is going to take him before most of us think he should go just because they are scared to miss out on the next great player. But where do you think realistically is the right spot for him in terms of the first round or even the second round or towards the top of the first round or wherever it is you think he should go? I think his best fit is probably Denver, mainly because of Vic Fangio. You know, I, I mentioned he's maybe the greatest linebacker coach ever. You look at all the names that he's worked with over the years. He coached the entire Dome Patrol in New Orleans back when they sent all four linebackers to the to the Pro Bowl in the exact same year. He's coached Ray Lewis, um, you know, Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman. I mean, you name it. Like he he's got like six or seven Hall of Famers or future Hall of Famers under his belt. He is a fantastic linebacker coach. So if anyone is going to get the most out of Devin White, it's probably Vic. And considering that they also need an inside linebacker because they let Brandon Marshall go, who I think just signed yesterday a new deal. I can't remember with who. Um, but they need an inside linebacker. So it's it's kind of a best of, of both worlds for both of them. And I, I think that would be a phenomenal fit. But he's more or less the definition of boomer bust, right? Oh, absolutely. But if there was anybody that was going to get him to boom, it's Vic Fangio. Another guy that a lot of people view as a boomer bust, but you don't necessarily see it that way, is DK Metcalf. He did a video on him as well. He's a guy that blew up after the combine because people saw the show that he put on. And I have to admit, I was super skeptical because I'm somebody that really doesn't like it when a player is not productive in college, but then goes on to have a huge combine and all of a sudden, the next thing you know, he's the big deal and everybody wants him. I've seen this so many times with the Jets. And that's why I'm skeptical Dwayne Robertson sticks out in my head I think that with Metcalf I fell prey to that at first I said here's a guy who's nothing but a combine wonder I don't see him as doing anything in the NFL And any team that picks him in the first round is crazy But then I went back and watched his tape And I saw some things and I said okay Maybe I'm not quite as high on him as some other people are based on the combine But you really can see the tools there That would make a great wide receiver if he can stay healthy right? I mean, the only reason why Jets fans are so against Metcalf is because they, they still got that PTSD from Stephen Hill. Um, <laughs> and Vernon Golston, by the way. I mean, all, yeah, all of every time they see, oh, raw athletic freak, like Jets fans just run in terror because they're, they're over that narrative at this point. But um, I think when you look at Metcalf's production, it's really not his fault. He was in maybe the worst coordinated offense in the SEC, and people say, oh, how can you say that? You know, they were ninth in yards and so-and-so in points. It's like, yeah, they're putting up 70 against Louisiana Monroe. You know, when they went up against actual defenses with comparable talent in the SEC, they got absolutely slaughtered because their, their offense was so simple. It was so uncreative. They relied almost entirely on their skill position talent to move the ball at all. They had serious coordinator issues, serious quarterback issues. They just they were not a very well-run offense. And unfortunately, Metcalf was playing kind of a sacrificial lamb role on that team. They only let him run two routes. 
It was either go or curl, and that's it. You know, meanwhile, you got A.J. Brown, who's in the slot. He's running whips. He's running posts. He's running overs. You know, A.J. Brown was the only receiver that they featured in that offense, again, because he's the slot receiver. So he, he got a lot of the underneath passes, which is what uh, Jordan Tamu liked to throw because he wasn't very good at placing deep balls. So Metcalf and Demarcus Lodge, who was the uh, the third wide receiver there, you know, the fact that before Metcalf got injured, they all had pretty much identical yardage and, and touchdowns. And all like that. that was a freaking miracle and a testament to how good Metcalf and Lodge were because that offense was not designed for them. It was designed for A.J. Brown. Um, so to me, it's not really Metcalf's fault that he wasn't producing. It's unfortunate that he got hurt because I do feel like he would have been overall very productive in spite of his quarterback and in spite of his offense. But, man, like, if you watch the episode, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Like, they just so catastrophically misused him in terms of not letting him run the routes that he's good at running. Like, it, it oh, it, just, it made me so mad. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. So a lot of what you're saying is that most of this falls on the coaching and that the people who are worried about his agility, which is something you heard about coming out of the combine and his lateral quickness, that's not necessarily something to worry about because he's somebody that you can just have run a handful of routes, run them well, and at the NFL level it would translate as opposed to the college level where they only had him do two routes, they didn't really feed him, they used him improperly, and so if the right coach gets him and uses him the way that, say, somebody used Calvin Johnson in Detroit, that might be a formula for success. Yeah, and like I said, his role in the offense was DK run deep, and maybe we'll throw it to you. Uh, and But he's built to run in breaking routes. With his size, his speed, his physicality, he's very good at breaking press coverage. He's built to run slants. He's built to run posts. He's built to run all these routes where his one job is just kind of put his body across the body of the corner, box him out, and then use that speed to accelerate and create separation over the middle. They never let him do that. I watched all his games last season. He ran maybe like five or six slants the entire time. It was maddening. But... When he was allowed to run those slants, he was open on all of them, like wide open, because he's really good at doing it. He got to the combine. He ran the first deep dig I ever saw him run, and it was great. It, it, it baffled me that they didn't let him run that at Ole Miss because he he was really damn good at it. Instead, they were so focused on getting the ball to A.J. Brown on whip routes and crosses that like they're looking at literally a, a Calvin Johnson level talent at X receiver and they're just not using him. It was insanity to me. So when he gets to the NFL, if he's allowed to run that kind of Calvin Johnson route tree and keep in mind, Calvin 75% of his routes statistically were either slants, posts, goes or curls. All he has to do is run that same route tree and he's going to be extremely productive because how many six, three, 230 pound receivers that can break press coverage like Metcalf. He's really good at doing that. How many, are not putting up insane numbers when they're targeted on slants like that. You know, it, it's the reason why Josh Gordon was productive. It's the reason why Demaryius Thomas was productive. When you have a receiver with that skill set and you let him run the routes that fit that skill set, it's almost guaranteed a thousand yards because they are just so much bigger, so much stronger, and so much faster than every other DB on the field. You mentioned that Bill Belichick's philosophy is don't tell me what a guy can't do. Tell me what he can do, and then let's figure out how to utilize it. And it reminds me of a story that Bill Watts likes to tell a lot. Bill Watts is a legendary pro wrestling promoter who ran the Mid-South Territory for many years. 
And he told the story about how when the Junkyard Dog, who later became a legendary figure in pro wrestling, people probably know him best for his time in WWF, but in the Mid-South, he became a huge draw and the biggest star that they had. And when he was first wrestling, Bill Watts wasn't out on the road, but he had his chief lieutenant, Ernie Ladd, out on the road, who, by the way, was a hell of an NFL player in his day as well. And he said, Ernie, I want you to tell me what this guy can do. Okay. Calls him up. He says, Bill, he can't do this. He can't do that. He's bad in the rain, this and that. He goes, Ernie, you're fired. He's like, what do you mean I'm fired? He goes, I asked you to tell me what he can do, not what he can't do. I want to know what he can do because I want to be able to utilize that to draw money in this territory. And then the story goes that he rehired Ladd back about an hour later, but he was just trying to make a point. And the point is, like Bill Belichick said, if you have somebody that has a certain skill set and it's something that can be useful to you, use that skill set and don't try and ask somebody to do something that they're not capable of. And so if he has the ability to run those four routes that you were talking about, which it seems like he does if you go back and watch his film, even though, as you said, the coaching staff didn't always use him properly, why would you even worry about the cone drill and stuff like that? Because you don't need to use him in that capacity, right? Yeah, Calvin didn't, like, people don't realize this, Megatron never ran a three-cone in his life. He didn't run it at the Combine, he didn't run it at his pro day, because he knew it wouldn't be very good. Like, Calvin wasn't physically built to run that kind of drill, but nobody cared. Like, he, he, he never ran, you know, he wasn't running whip routes every week, he wasn't running post corners every week, he did it every once in a while. It was like 2 or 3% of his, of his route tree, but he's running 22% of the time, he's running slants. So it's a whole different level in terms of route frequency. Like, the Lions used Megatron how DK Metcalf should be used. Physically, they're almost the same guy. So it just it boggles my mind that people say, like, oh, well, he can't run the full route tree. I don't care. I don't need him to run the full route tree. I just need him to be really good at those four routes, and he'll be a 1,000-yard receiver and be worth the pick. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. If you were picking an offensive skill player and you had to pick one above anybody else in this draft, would Metcalf be the first guy you picked? Yeah, probably. I'm not a huge fan of the running back class. I mean, there's some guys that I like, but uh, you know, there's there's no Saquon, there's no Fournette, there's no Gurley, there's no Zeke in terms of running backs. Um, and, and Metcalf, look, look, let's, let's not get it twisted. He's not like a Julio. He's not an A.J. Green. Um, he's not a... a uh, Mike Evans or an Odell Beckham or Sammy Watkins when they were all coming out, but he's pretty damn close. <laughs> like he's he's not that far off, and I think as long as he's in the right system, he can produce like all of those guys. Um, even if he's not maybe the same level of prospect, it doesn't mean he can't put up the same numbers. Does it worry you with his frame and how much muscle he has on him that his body could break down? Uh, that, that's kind of the one thing I am worried about is the injuries. I know that the foot injury and the neck injury supposedly have a low rate of recurrence in terms of the specific types of injuries that he got, but still, you know, neck injuries scare me no matter who, who we're talking about, no matter what kind of injury we're talking about. Like you, you never hear somebody say that I used to have a bad spine. Um, same thing with foot injuries, especially with receivers. Uh, it's kind of flashback to Julio who's dealt with foot injuries literally his whole career. So, it's a little bit worrying, um, not enough to make me not want him, but it is something that kind of goes into the evaluation a little bit. I asked you a theoretical before, which was if the two quarterbacks went one and two, would you take Quinn and Williams 
over Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, and anybody else. So I want to ask a different theoretical that involves DK Metcalf now. Let's say the Kyler Murray thing is all a smokescreen and Arizona actually picks Williams or Bosa, and the other one goes number two to San Francisco. So you're sitting there at number three if you're the Jets, and you're not getting a great trade offer. Would you pick DK Metcalf at number three, considering that the number one goal of the Jets right now is to surround Sam Darnold with high-caliber weapons? Ooh, you know what? No, I'd go Juwan Taylor. Not because I don't think that Metcalf doesn't fit. He does fit. I think he would be very productive with the Jets. I think Darnold needs a receiver like him. But my number one priority in terms of building around Darnold is making sure that he doesn't die. So I'd much (laughs) rather protect him. Like It's great to have a receiver that runs 4-3. I think Darnold and him could throw bombs all day long. But if Darnold can't survive in the pocket long enough for him to throw those deep routes in the first place, it doesn't really matter. So I'd probably go Jawan Taylor. <laughs> Not having Darnold die is probably a good goal. It's a noble goal, but certainly a good one that they should probably keep in mind, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially when you look at some of the pass rushes in the AFC. Uh, you, you're going up against anybody in the AFC West. Uh, good luck. I want to ask you about the possibility of trading down because I want to get into your last video, your most recent one that you just posted that involves Dwayne Haskins, and it would involve a possible trade down with the Jets and the Giants, or perhaps the Giants sitting at number six and grabbing Haskins. We'll see how it plays out. But if you were the Jets at number three, again, let's go back to that scenario that I had where Quinnen Williams is on the board, or Nick Bose is on the board, or both of them are on the board. What kind of offer would you be looking for to slide out of that spot? Because I've been saying that if either one or both is on the board at number three, it would take a really big offer for me to move. Would you agree with that? I think how they should play it, because we know they're going to get calls. Like, if you have the third overall pick, you're going to get a call no matter what, because there's always going to be a player of of an incredible caliber that somebody's going to want. So let's say Kyler goes first. Uh, let's say uh, Bosa goes second. That's probably the most likely scenario. I would take Quinn and over Bosa, but you know, let's let's just say that Bosa goes second. So now we're sitting on the board. We got Quinn and Williams. We got Haskins. We got Juwan Taylor. They're all there at three. We know they're going to get calls. So what I'm doing is I'm gonna t- I'm gonna talk to the Giants. I'm gonna ring them up and be like, Hey, uh, I'm getting a call from a team that's in the early teens here. Don't tell them who it is. They're immediately going to think it's Miami trying to trade up and be like, what do you got? If you want Haskins, what do you got? And then you take six, you take 17, you move down, you still probably get Juwan Taylor. And then at 17, let's say, you know, the the heavens open up and DK Metcalf is there. Now you got both. Like that to me is the best case scenario is the Giants get spooked. They try to beat the Raiders. They try to beat the Dolphins. The Bengals are maybe rumored about looking at replacing Dalton. So there's a whole bunch of teams that might try to trade up for Haskins. You spook the Giants into beating them out. You take their two picks. You build around your rookie quarterback. You go to the playoffs, and you get happy. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. So you would be willing to trade down, but it would take a pretty solid haul, and you wouldn't be willing to trade down super far, right? I would trade down if it's with the Giants, but that's about it. And listen, there's always the possibility that if Quentin Williams is on the board, crazier things have happened. Leonard Williams dropped to six, right? Yeah, and, and, and that's that's like that's the thing is if if Quinnen's on the board, the only thing that could make me pass up taking him is if I'm getting two first round picks this year 
where I know I can use them to help Darnold. That's the only way I'm doing it. I'm not doing it for future first. I'm not doing it for like those three second round picks that Indy took last year from the Jets. Like I am only doing it for that deal and that deal. It, like it, that's the only scenario. Other than that, I'm taking Quinn in. Uh, I'm helping out my defense and I'm sleeping easy at night. <laughs> Which is what Dave Gettleman will probably do if he lands Haskins. If your theory is correct and you have a whole episode on what you think the Giants have actually been doing that maybe they've been playing a little chess when we thought they were playing checkers and that Haskins has been the guy that they've had in mind all along. Can you explain your theory and what your episode is about so that if anybody hasn't seen it yet, because I haven't had anybody else come up with this theory, but it actually makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and you know, people said, okay, how how are you going to be building around a young quarterback when you trade away Odell Beckham? Like, that doesn't help a young quarterback, but... When you look at the whole trade, and even though they were kind of done in two parts, it's all essentially, I feel like they were kind of working on both at the same time. Kind of like how Cleveland worked on the Brock Osweiler trade, which is a two-parter. Um, they, were, they were two parts of the same deal. So you trade away Odell, you get back, and, and uh, Olivia Vernon, you get back Zeitler, really good pass-protected guard, one of the five best pass-protecting guards in the league. Uh, which they really, really needed. They needed to shore up their interior offensive line because the front of the pocket was collapsing on every single play, and Eli didn't have time to step up. So they get a really good guard out of it. They get Jabril Peppers, who I felt was a really great, strong safety prospect when he was coming out of Michigan a few years ago. They finally used him properly in Cleveland last year. He had a really good year. Uh, so you're replacing Landon Collins, who you didn't want to pay a ton of money to um, for a one-dimensional player, which I, I consider considering how much he got paid i kind of understand why they let him walk so you get a cheaper strong safety out of it um you get a first round pick which you can use to develop or at least to build around whatever young quarterback you end up getting uh you get a third round out or uh, a third rounder out of as well so like they have players that they needed out of this deal they got picks that they needed out of this deal and people still say oh well trading away odell hurts the rookie quarterback well maybe not because when you look at the kind of quarterback that Haskins is, what is his skill set? He's a very good dink and dunk passer. He shreds defenses underneath, especially zone coverage. He works the, the short area of the field in terms of behind the line of scrimmage and within the first 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. That's his comfort zone. He dinks and dunks you to death, very similar to like you know a, a Tom Brady, where it's just short pass, short pass, short pass, 11, 12 play drives, get a touchdown, uh, go to the sideline, you're happy with it. So that's the kind of player he is. So the Giants, if they're building around that kind of quarterback, they need yards after catch threats that can turn those dinks and dunks into big plays. They need a strong interior pocket because he can't run very well, so he needs uh, room to step up. He needs a line that can buy him time. And, uh, you know, they need an offense, or at least a, a coordinator, an offensive mind that is willing to operate that style of offense in terms of a lot of quick rhythm, tempo kind of passing concepts. And the Giants have all three. They signed Golden Tate to replace Odell. Not, quote-unquote, replace. He's not replacing Odell, but in terms of filling the need that they had at X receiver. He's a great yards-after-catch threat. Sterling is going to be in the slot. Again, nasty blocker, great yards-after-catch threat. Saquon, one of the most dangerous yards-after-catch threats in the league. They get, Bato uh, not Batonio, uh, Zeitler, like I said, that kind of rounds out the interior three. So now they got the interior pocket situation sorted out and they got pat Shermer, who operates a very quick up-tempo passing game 
So they've got everything that Haskins needs to succeed, and I kind of feel like they've been building to that the whole time. You know, Gettleman said, we have a plan. I kind of feel like Haskins is that plan because he fits exactly what the Giants have been building. Kind of makes you wonder why they passed on Sam Darnold, though, last year, right? Oh, that was still terrible. Like, <laughs> 100%, I, I feel like the reason why they passed on Sam was they felt like they were a better team than they actually were, and they think, okay, we can go to the playoffs again if we get Saquon. And I think they just vastly overestimated uh, what they actually had. And again, you can call that a miscalculation on Gettleman's part. Fine, whatever. But they have a chance to make up for it this year by getting Haskins and by building an offense that actually suits his skill set. And I kind of feel like they're trying to do that. Do you think that Haskins is anywhere near the level of what Darnold or Mayfield were perceived to be last year? Because a lot of people think that Dwayne Haskins is a very low ceiling, high floor type of quarterback and that maybe his destiny is to at best be in that 10 to 15-ish range, maybe along the lines of what Kirk Cousins is. Is that how you see it or you think that he could be an elite level quarterback? Um, I mean, my comp for him was kind of a hybrid between Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo. And while Jared Goff, nobody's calling him an elite quarterback. I mean, you, you put him in the right system and you have the right talent around him and you're going to a Super Bowl. You, you can win a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. Again, I, I know he had a, a bad game in the Super Bowl, but I mean, they were there for a reason. They were a pretty damn good team. And, uh, you know, maybe if the uh, pass interference rules that are going into effect this year were in effect last year, you know, maybe they would have had a better shot. Um, so, I, 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 again, I don't think he's going to be on the same level as Baker or Donald, who I, I thought were both, you know, transcendent franchise quarterback prospects. But you can absolutely win a lot of games with Dwayne Haskins. You can win a championship with Dwayne Haskins. You just have to have the right system and the right kind of personnel around him to do it. Would you prefer, if you were the Giants, putting aside your theory about the fact that they're building their roster for Dwayne Haskins, go out and get Haskins in the draft, or would you deal a pick for Josh Rosen? Which do you think is a preferable situation? I wouldn't deal a first for Rosen. If we're, maybe we're talking about 37, you know, that, that top of the second round pick, that's where I might consider it. Um, I feel like that would be a pretty good value for the kind of player that Josh is. Uh, whether or not he would mesh well with the locker room, we don't know because, you know, there's people that even since Josh was um, like, I'm from Southern California, so I'm pretty familiar with, with Josh uh, as a prospect. Uh, he went to a, a rival high school of my alma mater, so I, I kind of know uh, kind of the ins and outs of, <laughs> of his personality. And, you know, he doesn't fit every single team. So, again, that's part of the reason why maybe I wouldn't do a first for it, but I would consider a second. Last question on the Giants front as far as Dwayne Haskins goes. We talked a little bit about trade possibilities involving the Jets. If you were the Giants and your theory is correct and they have been doing all these moves because they're preparing to get Dwayne Haskins, just how desperate would you be to land him? In other words, let's say that the draft plays out where Murray goes number one and at number two, Nick Bosa goes. If you were the Giants... Would you be scared enough that you're going to lose out on this guy that you basically built your entire game plan around? Would you be scared enough to make a move like the one that you described before, where you would deal up picks to go up and get the guy that you've more or less set your franchise around according to the plan that you laid out? Yeah, I mean, if I, I would basically phrase it like this. If I'm the Giants, I have a standing offer with the Jets. And I say, hey, if somebody's 
given you a deal, A, you tell me who it is, and then B, you tell me what they're offering, and I'll match it. And uh, I, I feel like that would be kind of contingent on it, is you would have to tell me who the team is, um, because not every team you think is trading up for a quarterback, but I, I would have an offer with them and be like, hey, if Miami's calling you, you tell me that Miami's calling you, and I'll give you both my first-round picks. And uh, that that would be kind of how I play it, it more of a contingency plan. Um, now, that doesn't preclude the Jets from maybe lying to the Giants. It would be a bad <laughs> idea if they lied to the Giants because the Giants would find that out. But, you know, if they really wanted to get those two first-round picks, they could probably maybe finagle the truth a little bit. It wouldn't be the first time that's happened. But that would be kind of how I play it if I were the Giants. If I have a standing offer with the Jets. Call me if you get a deal and I'll match it think a lot of Jets fans would be happy about that. A lot of Jets fans are looking to move out of that number three pick and pick up a haul. I've been saying I don't know how realistic it is, but if your theory is correct and that the Giants have constructed their entire offseason around getting Dwayne Haskins, maybe it's a little more realistic than any of us, myself included, thought. Brett Coleman, one of the absolute best there is out there with draft and film. If you are not following this guy on Twitter, if you are not watching his videos, Go ahead and do it right now. I promise you it will make you a smarter football fan. And like I said, much like our friend Joe Blewett, he's great at not only breaking down the film, but doing it in a way that is very easy to digest for somebody that isn't on that type of level of knowing every little in and out of X's and O's. Absolutely, you should subscribe to his channel and follow him on Twitter. Brett, for anybody who doesn't know where to do that, doesn't know how to follow you, doesn't know where to get your YouTube videos, why don't you go ahead and let him know? Sure. Uh, just type in uh, Brett Coleman. That's with two T's, and then Coleman is the most German spelling ever. K O L L M is in Mary A N N. It's two N's on the end. Uh, or if you just go on YouTube, type in the film room, or you type in you know Dwayne Haskins, you'll probably see my video pop up, and you can kind of go from there. But uh, I'm Brett Coleman on all platforms, and you can just kind of find me that way. Brett, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Hope you'll come back soon. In the meantime, check out Brett's YouTube videos. Follow him on Twitter, at Brett Coleman. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.